1: Finally, the only bishop sounding and acting like a bishop in America is Bishop Joseph Strickland. He goes ballistic in this opening interview of Toxic Mail Month. This is for six-pack warriors who are interested in learning to make money online. Earlier this year, ClickBank made a shocking announcement. In a mere 12 months, a small group of ClickBank users made a total of $25,690,213. But here's where it gets crazier. None of them were online business experts. In fact, before that 12 months, they were just regular ClickBank users who'd never made a dime online. Many of them had day jobs or other commitments and just did ClickBank on the side. But there's one thing they all had in common. All of them used my friend Robbie Blanchard's simple three-step system to succeed. Now in case you haven't heard of him, Robbie Blanchard is the number one ClickBank affiliate. Due to all the success he's had from promoting ClickBank products for high commission, Robbie's put together a free training where you'll learn the same system he used to have such massive success. In this training, Robbie will show you how to make $1,000 a day promoting informative products that people are dying to use, how to use the power of Facebook to find huge pockets of untapped buyers, why making $1,000 a day is actually easy to do and just takes three steps, why you need zero experience to have success with this system. You're not going to want to miss this free training if you're looking to generate $1,000 a day. Click the link in my show notes that says how to make $1,000 a day with ClickBank offers for the free training. Wow, that's all I can say to describe my reaction to this interview with Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. This interview was awesome. I had His Excellency on the show in November of 2020 in episode 98, and that was a pleasant enough interview. I've always liked and respected Bishop Strickland, and he's one of the few people who knows the true identity of Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy, so I suppose you could say we're friends. But 2020 was a completely different world than now. We were only eight months into the COVID lockdowns, and all of America was anxious. I was one of the few Catholic voices at the time criticizing our bishops for locking down our parish churches and restricting access to Mass. But most Catholic Americans were less critical because the bishops were, for the most part, acquiescing to health department edicts. The Orthodox bishops were conflicted. On the one hand, they knew I was right in saying that we needed more masses instead of fewer masses. But on the other hand, they wanted to respect legitimate authority. Bishop Strickland resisted the lockdowns more than any other bishop at the time. But America began a death spiral as the lockdowns continued. In the 19 months since Bishop Strickland had been on the show, I became more disillusioned with our bishops. They began to show their true colors the bishops in America seemed to be in lockstep with the tyranny of many government authorities. The criminal and Lavender Mafia bishops made it evident that they were all in favor of the tyranny, and the Orthodox bishops appeared terrified to buck the wave of those criminal bishops led by the Lavender Mafia don, Cardinal Supich. That's when I began calling out the Orthodox bishops, several of them being among my friends, for their cowardice. I specifically called out Bishop Strickland for his cowardice. Frankly, his cowardice surprised me. About eight or ten months ago, that began to change. Off the interview, Bishop Strickland told me when that change took place. It brought a smile to my face. He relates part of that transition story from cowardice to courageousness in this interview. I believe you'll really appreciate that part of the interview. It should be a lesson and example to all Orthodox priests and bishops in this country. In fact, I think Bishop Strickland's example is what allowed Archbishop Corderleone to discover his backbone and finally deny Nancy Pelosi access to communion. And now it would appear that a trend for Orthodox bishops discovering their backbones has begun. In this interview, Bishop Strickland holds nothing back. With courageousness and humility, he calls out the German bishops, but he also calls out his brother bishops in the USCCB. Except for Father James Martin, he doesn't call out anyone by name, which is right and just. Bishops should call out priests by name because priests are subordinate to bishops, but not their brother bishops. Him calling out bishops by name would only further entrench them in their errors. But you can be sure that they'll know who His Excellency is talking about, and I know that at least one of them listens to this show. This interview is 53 minutes long, and you can be sure that only less than 10 minutes of it you'll hear me. Bishop Strickland was fired up. So due to the length of this interview, there won't be any other segments in this episode. After the interview, I'll return for a few closing comments. Hello, Excellency. How are you today?
0: Good, Joe. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm just as happy as if I had good sense. We're thrilled to have you back on the show. It's been about a year and a half. Uh, I realize that you're running a hot clock, such as the life of a bishop. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Just so we're reading off the same page here, Excellency, begin the conversation with uh, Your Excellency's definition of strong Catholic manhood, Catholic masculinity.
0: Well, um, the great model for that, of course, is Jesus Christ, the God man. And that certainly is a, a high bar for all of us because he is divine as well as human. But he, he shows us what a man in his image and God's image can be. And so we look to him always, all of us, with great humility, knowing we don't measure up, but part of being a Catholic man is to continue to strive to measure up.
1: Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that here shortly. In our church, June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. For at least a decade now, we haven't heard a lot of promotion of the Sacred Heart, but it does seem that we hear a lot about Gay Pride Month. As I understand, you've actually declared month a special month for the Sacred Heart there in Tyler. Can you please tell us why you're doing it, and can you speak to the problem of some bishops and priests promoting LGBT agenda instead?
0: Well, the reason—I have a great devotion personally to the Sacred Heart um, ever since I was a little boy, thanks to my very strong Catholic parents. Um, And we need Christ in his Sacred Heart especially. Uh, And I think it's a, it's a significant image for our time because hearts and flowers are all over the place. But the sacred heart of Christ with is, it's often depicted with a crown of thorns on top of it. It reminds us the, the sacred heart is an image of love beyond imagining and of sacrificial love. And that's what going back to the topic of being a, a Catholic man. Um, That's the kind of love we're called to live, is really sacrificial love that is other-centered. All the love of Christ is for us. He's God's divine son. As we know from uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave us his son. Both God the Father and the Son are living that reality that they are love personified. They are love by very existence. And a sacrificial love, the father gives his son to save us and his son gives himself. And that is the model of love for men and women that we are called to live up to. So with that model, then real love always has to be sacrificial and focused on the other. Um, A married man needs to start with love of his wife and then the children that come along are loved by him and his wife together as loving parents. But a man marries a woman and pledges, as St. Paul says so beautifully, to model his love after the love of Christ. That's why the LGBTQ whatever agenda, all of that is simply not the truth. Everyone who has that attitude is beloved of God, and God wants them to live the truth as he does the two Joes here talking. He wants all of us to be set free in his truth. So it, it really is tragic that for whatever reasons, uh, presumably for the best intentions, but I think we know a saying called the road to, road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions to truly be good must be rooted in the truth, Amen. rooted in what God has revealed to us. Catholicism is a revealed religion. And, you know, it, it seems kind of odd to even have to state that. But these days, we have to remind ourselves that we didn't get where we are in the Catholic Church with all the wondrous truth that guides us through consensus or through surveys or through men and women coming together and just creating something, the truth that we rely on has been revealed by God. And that's what we always, there's a great humility in that. And many in our time, I mean, I'm a sinner. Joe, I'm sure you're a sinner. We all are. And the arrogance of our, our tendencies, pridefully, is to say, oh, God, we've got this. We'll, we'll take care of running the world. That's how many operate. And sadly, it's even invaded the church, certainly among the clergy, but among a lot of the laity. We need their leadership as well. Mothers and fathers that have lost their way. I mean, there's so many levels of the brokenness, it's hard to really wrap our minds around it. But Rather than trying to do that, to wrap our minds around all the false teachings and the messages, we simply, Joe, I'm a simple guy. Um,
1: Yes, you are.
0: But simplicity is where the truth is. Yes, God is profound truth, more complex, more mysterious than we will ever fathom in this lifetime. But even that is a pretty simple truth. There are things we simply don't know the answer to things that we will never understand using our human intellect. There are great things that we can accomplish. But in comparison to the mysteries of God, we can't get there in this life. We're called there in eternal life. But what we, I guess, humility is one of the the realities of the human family today that needs to be underscored. And And again, Jesus Christ is the model of that here he is, God's divine son. And we've just gone through the Easter season a couple of months ago now. And it's the reality is that Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, stood before Pontius Pilate, sort of representing the uh, arrogance of our world, of our humanity that's there in me. It's in all of us. That prideful arrogance to think we've got the answers. Pilate says, what is truth? And Here he is in in the presence of truth incarnate and the humility of Christ in that moment. I mean, every moment of Christ's incarnate life with us is a profound message of humility. But in that simple exchange of words with this leader of the the Roman Empire, they're present in Jerusalem at that moment in the first century, the, the humility of Christ is just awe-inspiring if we really look at it and reflect on it. Here he is, Lord of the universe. And he allows this pipsqueak to really challenge him. And he says very respectfully, he he gives it back to him and says, are you?" Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply says, you say so. Um, the humility of Christ is a great inspiration. And if we look at the apostles, what they learned as they with the grace of the Holy Spirit that comes at Pentecost, they get strong enough to know their humility is their greatest strength, their greatest ability to change the world and go out and do what Christ said, because they're humble enough to know it's not their message. It's the message of Jesus. That's what all the leaders in the church And all the faithful of the church, that's what we have to remember. I'm not representing myself. I'm representing the revealed truth of Jesus Christ. And Joe, if I get it wrong, I always ask to be corrected. I can make mistakes. I can misquote things. I can misunderstand. And we need to always go back to the measure of what is truth. That is Jesus Christ. He's the face of truth. And we just need to really grasp that, rejoice in it, and, you know, speak up when anyone, whether a leader in the church or a, a leader in business or a leader in government, really turns away from this revealed truth that's for all of humanity. Really, Joe, you can tell I get a little carried away sometimes, <laughs> but we need to be strong in, in speaking up. And not just say, oh, well, that's your opinion. If it's false, it's a heart. It may be an opinion. All of us can have opinions and ideas as human beings. But if it's false, it's harmful. Truth sets us free. Falsehood enslaves us. And we're in a world where that slavery of sin and false teaching is epidemic.
1: Bishop Strickland, I readily admit that I have been very critical of all of the bishops of the USCCB, even the good Orthodox bishops, because of cowardice, not standing up and saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said. And I've even been critical of you for that. But I really admire the way you stood up Uh, especially over the last year. You've been coming out there and saying enough is enough. Let's talk truth. So that really leads to the second part of the question, which you didn't answer. And that is speaking to the problem of some bishops and priests, like Father James Martin, promoting LGBT. Uh, And as far as bishops, there are several uh, I'm thinking specifically of one Southern bishop. I don't want to name him here and put you on that spot, but can you, can, can you tell us? I don't know what kind of answer I'm looking for now after that wonderful long answer you <laughs> gave in <laughs> the first part, but can you speak to us about, uh, what these men are doing and, 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 Just how, I mean, it's confusing the laity, something awful, because they're ignorant of the Catholic faith.
0: Well, that's a a big problem, Joe. And I guess the best way I can answer your question is, I was proud to sign a recent letter to the bishops of Germany that are really way out there, even ahead of some of the bishops here. Some, you know, sadly, we just have to acknowledge it. Um... I was talking to one bishop and said, "Oh, the USCCB needs to write this letter." That isn't going to happen in our present reality because too many of the bishops here agree with what the German bishops are doing in their synodal way. Um, it it really and so that letter very probably um, too mild in some ways, but at least speaking truth and fraternally saying, brothers, come back to Christ. I mean, that's really what the message is. And I would say the same thing to my brothers here. Um, there's too much concern in the world and in the church about, well, how's this received? And how's the, how are people going to react? Really, Joe, I was formed in that kind of mindset. And for as a priest for many years, I always loved being a priest, and I tried to teach the truth of the church and bring the challenging message the best I could. But I looking back, I realized that I was too concerned about whether the congregation would get upset. And and that that is a a concern that overrides, is it the truth too often? Certainly, we can present the truth in Harmful or harsh ways, but it has to be the truth. And there, there, I was formed in a time when very, we were really encouraged to, because the church was already, I was ordained in 1985. The issues about people leaving the church and a downturn in vocations, all of those issues were already there. And it was like, be kind and, and just embrace the people. The greatest kindness is the truth. And that's what I've learned as a bishop, because it's a lot of responsibility to to be reminded that you're a successor of the apostles. Joe, if you look at those men, one betrayed Jesus and the other 11, 10 10 of those 11 died for the name of Jesus Christ, literally lost their lives. Whether they were crucified upside down or skinned alive or hung or they were, they all died in one way or another. The, the great apostle John, the beloved disciple is the only one that I would say died a, a white martyrdom. He lived to be an old man. He's the only one, but he suffered. He was imprisoned. He suffered uh, yeah. for the name of Christ. We successors of the apostles have to be willing to do the same and. You know, it, it's a, it's a difficult time when to stand for the truth of Christ puts you in opposition to your brother bishops and to leadership in the church. But certainly obedience is, is we have to be obedient to Christ. Amen. And Jesus Christ is the measure. Just like we started our conversation, Jesus Christ has to be the measure of are we living the truth? And he being um, obedient to Christ has to come first. Absolutely. To his church, the church is his bride. We have to have respect and obedience for his church. But first it's to Christ. And sadly, there's a conflict there in, on too many levels in the church today. And so, as I've said to people You know, if if you know anything about me, Joe, I hope you know that I speak up about the sanctity of the life of the unborn and really the sanctity of life from conception to natural death as much as I can, because I really believe that is a root issue as deep as it gets to that we are broken in our nation and in our world because the sanctity of life is not respected as being a gift from God that is from conception to natural death. And there, there's too much compromise in that. So I bring that up because I often mention that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Amen. Christ died on a hill. And as bishops, as faithful Catholic men, we need to be willing to die on the hill of truth. And the, the sanctity of life is one of those most undermined truths. And radiating out of that is is going back to the LGBTQ issue that if we really respect the sanctity of life, then that's a facet of that to recognize how God created us. That's the truth that God has revealed going all the way back to Genesis. God created us male and female, and it describes how the two shall become one and what we call the sacrament of marriage. There's no other model. Anything else is of human invention, and it's denying the the revealed truth that God has given us. And that, again, it, it comes down to to pretty simple realities. There isn't this variety of sexual beings. You're either male or female, as God created you. And there's too much confusion there, even with the leadership of the church. And promoting a lifestyle that is immoral and contrary to the life that God has given us is not love. It's not charity. And we absolutely, I think one of the big issues that I see, as you said, Joe, I speak out and I get in trouble for speaking out. But I'm going to, I still have to speak out as long as I'm a bishop. That's my job to guard the deposit of faith and to teach the truth. And to know that in humility, there's always more to learn, but it builds on the truth that it is there. It doesn't erase it and say, oh, we figured it out. It's a we figured out a better way. That's what the German bishops are claiming. And it's simply if it's contrary to revealed truth, it's needs to be rejected. I mean, that's the measure that the church has used for centuries. There have been many private revelations, but... How is it measured? You know, Joe, you say, oh, I, I saw a, a, an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she told me this, this and this. Whatever she told you, the church is going to measure against the deposit of faith, against revealed truth. And if you say that, oh, the Blessed Virgin Mary told me that um, we need to all be, uh, get as much money as we possibly can the church is going to say, sorry, Joe, we are not going to accept your private revelation as authentic because it's contrary. I mean, Christ calls us to be poor in spirit and in in reality to recognize the riches of this world are not what is going to feed us and bring us the fullness of life. So, I mean, that's maybe a, a silly example, but we need to recognize that the world is measured by what God has revealed to us. And to say, oh, we we found a different way. The church through the ages has said, sorry, that isn't authentic because it doesn't resonate with what Jesus Christ said, the incarnate word, with what all the word of God says in sacred scripture and with the catechism and the magisterial teachings of the church. So we've got to measure whatever is said against what god has revealed to us that is the joyful message that has set us free from death and sin that's what we've got to promote and to share that's what jesus and the great commissioning of the apostles he sent them out to go and teach all the world what he had shared with them
1: excellency you have actually excited me here (laughs) Because for the first time in memory, you sound like a bishop is supposed to sound. Truth trumps everything. We we haven't heard that. We laity haven't heard that from our bishops for a long, long time. You're, long. you're doing excellent. You brought up uh, your earlier formation and avoiding offending people. In my opinion, uh, that's just more evidence of where even bishops, priests, as well as laity, don't spend a lot of time in Scripture. Because if you read about Christ in the Gospels, he publicly called people liars and hypocrites and white-painted sepulchres full of dead men's bones. I don't think he worried about offending people. He just worried about getting the truth out there.
0: Absolutely. And I have to really, all that you just mentioned, Joe, he very often is directing that to the religious leaders. And I take that very seriously. I mean, he says better for a a millstone to drown you in the, the waters rather than to lead one little one astray we have to take that very seriously Amen. and the consensus and the popular opinion and the politically correct has has simply invaded the church to a, a devastating degree and thankfully there are bishops that do believe there are some that that believe things that I, that as i read it are contrary to what scripture says there's a phenomenon that i read about a while back that it talks about, it's in a book by Ralph Martin, and he's an excellent theologian that I think and he's a layman, but a man of great faith and a great intelligence. But he talks about the bracketing of scripture. And I think that in my lifetime, I'm 63 years old, and there has been a a tremendous tendency, and even a, a plot, I would say, to bracket out The tough stuff. I mean, for example, you know, I don't claim to be a great scripture scholar. I'm a Catholic. I mean, and I want to know the word of God more deeply. But, you know, I'm not a great scripture scholar. But we look at Paul's letters, and I believe it's his letter to the Ephesians. I I may be wrong. You probably know better than I. But there's one where he talks about husbands and wives.
1: That's Um, coming up.
0: And... (laughs) We have to read that whole reading where it says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. People stop there and say, oh, Paul, you know, he had to be off track. And how can this be in the word of God? And they don't continue where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Amen. And you can point to a crucifix and they say, that's how Jesus Christ loved his bride. So it's and even going on to the children children respect your parents if we listen to all of scripture it brings the balance of truth we're, we're all on the hook we're all there's a, a tremendous demand for all of us to seek sanctity to seek to turn from sin but the bracketing that is literally a part of the the brokenness i believe i think ralph martin is spot on with that pointing out And it's not just bracketing scripture, but it's bracketing out anything that is a little uncomfortable or challenging and making the message of Jesus just sort of a one person that I described uh, or that I talked to recently described their growing up, what they were presented to, presented as far as the message of Jesus Christ. It was a cotton candy gospel. And and I think there's too much of a tendency of that. It's about love and it's about all the beautiful things. But we have to know when when we're reading scripture, when we're looking at Jesus Christ, the love that he models for us is down and dirty, sacrificial, hard fought, pouring yourself out love. That's what a father is called for his children and his wife. That's what a mother is called for with her children and her husband. We're all called to that kind of sacrificial love. And too much of what's spoken of as love in our society and even within the church really isn't love at all, because when you leave out the, the sacrificial element, it becomes a human invention that can easily get distorted until it, it doesn't resemble real love at all.
1: Absolutely. You're Boy, you're just spot on. Let me ask you, Excellency, is this turning away from worrying about offending people and standing up like St. Peter would have or like St. Paul would have? Is that contagious? If so, I want to try to expose you to the rest of the bishops.
0: Well, it doesn't seem to be very contagious at this point. And really, uh, just speaking in those terms, kind of playing around with it, Joe. What infected me <laughs> was devotion to the Immaculate Virgin Mary, and really, honestly, that's where it started. It is I look back over, especially, really, my life as a priest as well, but especially it, the 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 heat got turned up, you know, 500 percent when I became a bishop, but. Looking to the Immaculate Virgin Mary and seeing the model that she is and and that devotion to Mary, praying the rosary and just really reflecting on who the Blessed Virgin Mary is, that drew me closer to her son, Jesus, especially in his Eucharistic presence. I mean, Joe, the reason I need to leave this when I do is because it's in my schedule to go and have some prayer before the Eucharistic face of Christ, before Amen. Mass. I try to do that more than once a day because I need to. It's not, it's not because I'm holy. It's because I'm not holy <laughs> that I need to be in his presence. And I will tell you, I mean, giving credit where credit is due, anything, any good I've done, any strength in speaking the truth any ability to stand up against my brother bishops or to go against the the tide of society and to say things that thankfully the flock here is very receptive but many aren't but to say things that are true regardless of how receptive it is in the in the community that strength has come from Jesus Christ in in the Eucharist, with his mother always sort of pushing me back and and praying for me more, inspiring me, the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Christ. I mean, here in the Diocese of Tyler, I've declared this year to be the year of the Immaculate Virgin Mary and the Eucharist. And those you're probably familiar with, I mention it all the time, St. John Bosco's vision of the church in a terrible storm. You've probably seen the painting. He's the church is a ship in a terrible storm, and it's anchored to the pillar of the Eucharist and the pillar of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. Eucharist first. Mary's always saying, follow him, follow him. It's not about Mary. It's about following her son. That's what, that's what makes her life meaningful. That's Mary's secret is following the truth that God has revealed, saying yes to God. And her son is the personification, the incarnation of that truth. So St. John Bosco's vision, the church is, the world is in a terrible storm right now. A a storm of falsehood, a storm of sin and filth and blasphemy, even from people in the church, even from leadership in the church. There, There are things going on that I never imagined as a little boy growing up here in East Texas. But we've got to face the reality, not in despair. We should always have the hope and the joy that the resurrected Lord brings us. I love what um, St. Peter says, be able to give the reason for your joy. And the reason for our joy is Jesus Christ. In this Easter season that we're coming toward the end of the we, rejoice in jesus christ he's our lord and savior he's the he is truth incarnate he's the face of truth he brings us every answer we need and and frankly i can tell you i mean joe i've never had what would be called a supernatural experience i haven't seen an apparition i haven't heard a voice audibly but i have felt the strength that flows from the eucharistic presence of the lord and that's the only strength I can claim. Like I said, I'm a simple guy. I'm not talented in in extreme ways in the terms of the world. I don't have I don't have anything. I'm just a a, a small diocese bishop. But I have Christ, and, Amen. and if if I can accomplish anything in His truth, it's because He's working through me. And I just pray that. I mean, my constant prayer is, is Saint John the Baptist's prayer. He must increase; I must decrease. Because if I start increasing, I start blocking the truth of Christ. It's His truth that has to increase.
1: Very good, excellency. I uh, I'm glad you brought up Saint John Bosco. He is he, and uh, Our Lady Help of Christians are the primary patrons of this apostolate. So I've. I've loved St. John Bosco since I was a neophyte. Let's shift gears a little bit here. For a myriad of reasons, Catholics are dropping out of the church like flies, most especially men. Many Catholic laymen have told me themselves that they don't feel welcome in our own church because they insist on being real men. Can you advise men how to combat the feminization going on in the church and reclaim their rightful role in the church and in family life?
0: Well, again, Joe, I, I tend to be a broken record, but <laughs> look to Christ. And and very seriously, I mean, like, you know, the the issues about how women are treated, you know, just for that one issue that people talk about toxic masculinity and all of this, a real man, Treats a woman and really every other human being, but especially a woman with great respect. A real man treats every woman as a sister of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. And I would, I'm a, in here in East Texas, we're sort of on the edge of the South. My father definitely had that sort of Southern gentleman approach. We were taught as kids, ladies first. Amen. um, Hold the door for the woman. I mean, some women, you know, go ballistic at that. But that's their problem. As men, we have to be authentic to what we know the truth to be. Not in an antagonistic way, but simply, again, look to the image of Christ. He talks to the woman at the well. That's a great gospel story that captures so much. For one thing, he's talking to her with respect, which surprises her. He's a, he's a Jew and he's talking to a Samaritan. What's he doing? He's modeling how a man needs to be a man in his time and in every century since and in, in the 21st century. So really, we look to Christ and we say, well, he's the divine son of God. How does that help me? But look at the very specific ways that he treats people. And again, um, Joe, it's not just how a man treats a woman. But how a man treats, how does Jesus treat authority? He treats it with respect, but clear truth. Again, going back to Pilate. He doesn't get in Pilate's face and yell at him and say he's an idiot, which, you know, probably a lot of us would have been tempted to. If, if we had the, the, the full knowledge of truth, it, like Jesus had, I mean, you know, but he models for us. In the face of power, you speak truth, you do it with respect, you stay calm and with a manly repose, but you speak the truth. You take whatever consequences come from that truth, you're willing to suffer rather than back off from the truth. That's begins to describe what we can see in Christ that we can bring to the workplace to the church, to the, the courthouse square, to everything that we do. And if you look at the brokenness of our society, just one example that comes to mind for me of not being a man. I saw a video of a man that was literally high, carjacking a woman's car and knocked her knocked her into the ground and jumped in the car and drove off. And he's basically this video is associated with this man being on trial for what he did. And when the judge asked him, why did you do this? And and all that the trial is about is trying to get reparation for the damage to the woman's car. She's not even suing him for for her own personal harm. She's just wanting him to pay the damages to her car. And he says, and to me, it's classic unmanliness that is rampant in our society. says, well, it's her car. Why should I have to pay for the repairs? I mean, you know, after he has beaten up on this woman, basically knocked her to the ground, stolen her car. And that to me just illustrates that's exactly if Jesus Christ models what a man does, this man models what. A man shouldn't do. And let me say, even as I mentioned that little story, I get accused of, oh, you're so judgmental. And Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Absolutely. Joe, I have no right to judge you as you have no right to judge me. And we need to be very clear about that. We need to be very aware we will be judged. Christ tells us that so clearly. Of course, that's one part of scripture that tends to get bracketed out. Jesus says there will be a judgment. The sheep and the goats will be separated. And where the goats go is not going to be a fun place. Jesus is very clear. But we have to make that distinction. Absolutely. To judge another, that's God's job. God knows the depths of our hearts and understands our failings and our goodness better than we do. But what we tend to shy away from in the church and just in general society today that is very detrimental is we we say, judge not lest ye be judged, means we can't make judgments about anything. And that leaves us dead in the water. We have to judge. That's That's part of being created in the image and likeness of God. We judge, is this true and right and good? Or is it false and wrong and ugly? We have to make that judgment. We do it daily, whether people like it or not. You make judgments about how you're going to address whatever comes next as life passes through the day. We must make human judgments, but that doesn't mean judging the other person. It That's comes true. back to the, to the whole homosexual issue. Homosexuality is a a condition of humanity. Some people have that reality in their lives. The, The Catechism presently speaks of it as disordered. And some have said, oh, that needs to be erased. It shouldn't be called disordered. I would advocate, Joe, that any sexual activity that is outside God's plan between a man and a woman committed in a lifelong relationship of marriage and open to children. And there's a lot built into that, that we could take hours unpacking. It's but good. If, if it doesn't match that definition, it's disordered that I'd rather see disordered appear a lot more in the catechism rather than taking it out in that one instance of sexual sin. But we, again, To to judge the person who has that inclination is wrong. True. But to call them to stop actions that are immoral and contrary to God's plan, it's the only way to really love that person. Real charity is always in the truth. And I've had people say, because, I mean, you mentioned Father James Martin, and I've never met him but we have this sort of ongoing feud where i say something and then he yeah. says something you know it says oh bishop strickland is just totally wrong but i've had people contact me that have said i was on the path that is being promoted by too many in the church that says oh well just embrace what you're feeling and what you feel what your attractions are and and the church will will come around to understanding that we need to just allow everyone to do what they're feeling and and it's okay. I've had people come back to me and say they were on that path and it brought devastation into their lives and they woke up and pulled away and they get more heated than I do about the damage that's done by priests and bishops that are saying, oh, well, just ignore what the the Lord has said and what the church teaches. Well, they'll wake up eventually and just do what, what you feel that you are, are fulfilled by. That is not love. And that I've been told by people that leads to a life of devastation. We have rampant depression and suicide and it's strong in that community because they're moving away from the truth. The truth is what sets us free. And we can play around with it and sort of bracket off things and and pretend, but it catches up with us. Joe, I'm a sinner. I went to confession yesterday because I needed to. And we all need to acknowledge. What does Jesus say? One of the first statements he makes as he begins his public ministry, repent and believe in the gospel. That's what I have to do daily, humbly acknowledge. Yes, I'm a sinner but I do my best to move away from sin and to live more virtuously. That is love, is to call people into that truth.
1: Wow. (laughs) Excellency, you have opened up a thousand doors. I really wish we could spend hours talking. I did want to mention, though, like you, I was raised that women come first, and you always open doors for ladies. And I've done that all my life. A few years ago, though, I opened the door for a lady, and I got chewed out for it. I looked at her, and, you know, she kept insisting that I go through the door. And I said, ma'am, if I did that, all my ancestors would come up out the grave and get me. You're going to have to go first. (laughs) She finally relented as she chuckled with that, so... But golly, you've opened a lot of doors here, and, I, and I'm looking at my questions and saying what an idiot for these questions, because now I can think of a thousand things I'd rather do. But there is one thing I want to bring up. It's real easy for a bishop to lose touch with his people because of his elevated position. It doesn't matter whether he's a good bishop or bad bishop. It just happens. Uh, but you're not like that. I've seen you leave your brother bishops at USCCB meetings and pray with the lay people who are standing around outside and listen to their concerns. Frankly, I don't know any other bishop in the country who does that. And I can only assume you do the same thing in Tyler. Uh, why do you mingle with the lay faithful this way, and what have you learned from it?
0: Well, I think God has blessed me with just a situation that has supported that, which pretty much comes naturally because, like I said, I'm a simple guy. I don't really uh, I'm not comfortable with a lot of the trappings that come with being a bishop. I mean, yes, it's an office to be respected because I have the job of promoting the message of Jesus Christ. But I think that my context, I'm in the same diocese where I grew up and literally where I grew up as a priest. I came back to this diocese, which became a diocese after I was already ordained. It was part of the Diocese of Dallas. But I came back to my own territory as my first assignment. I was known as Father Joe for all of those years. People still call me Father Joe, and then they quickly apologize. I say, you don't need to apologize. I'm still a priest. But I think that's helped me to reinforce my natural tendency to I can remember um, because I was rector of the cathedral, which you know in a in a the group of priests and the diocese. Oh, you're rector of the cathedral. You're sort of close to the bishop, um, which we are in a very hierarchical church, a hierarchy of greater and greater responsibility to share the truth of Christ, as I see it. But there is you know the the trappings of on, office and the honors that go there. But I remember as When I was rector of the cathedral, my tendency, like when the priests were gathered, I would just, you know, I'm not some great, humble guy, but it was just where I was more comfortable. I would tend to be, you know, toward the back of the group of priests as we're gathered around the altar and celebrating at a mass. And the the bishop at that time would always say, Father Strickland, get up here. You're the rector. You need to be right up here at the front. That my own natural tendencies, I think God has helped me to have it reinforced, to be in touch with the people. You know, I wear the the bishop's cassock fairly often, just on a regular day. And when I'm out here, we're about, we're less than 10% Catholic in this area. So a lot of people only have a vague notion of the Catholic Church. But I've I've had multiple times when I'm wearing the bishop's cassock, people will come up to me and say, are you the Pope? <laughs> and I just laugh because, you know, I mean, they clearly don't understand. But that kind of down to earth approach, and I, and I appreciate what Pope Francis said. He actually said when I was there on at the bishop's meeting that we had after newly ordained bishop's bishop school, they call it, when he said the famous quote, smell like your sheep. And and he's right. We need to be in touch with the people, with the poor and the wealthy and everybody in between, just the whole crowd that gathers. One of the, the my favorite descriptions of the church that still is the truth, with all our brokenness, with all the issues, one of the descriptions of the church I remember reading about is here comes everybody. And that's true in the Diocese of Tyler, in a small diocese. We have people from around the world speaking various languages, people that are fabulously wealthy and very poor. Uh, We have everything in between. That is what every bishop really needs to be in touch with, not to hang out just with the, the wealthy or just with the poor and to recognize. I mean, I think it's it's even teaches us something that the two gospels, one has blessed are the poor and the other has blessed are the poor in spirit i think that those two different versions remind us poverty in jesus christ we need to look at in a very different way certainly to have billions of dollars and be abusive to people with those billions is not the way of christ but to be of, of poverty and then to turn to crime or to be stealing that's not the way of christ either the spiritual and the real poverty have to, to work together. And we all, I mean, just like one of my favorite quotes is St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. That's an element of, of what real poverty is when we're seeking Jesus Christ. Amen. All the wealth in the world, and it's illustrated over and over again, all the wealth and the power and the influence and the popularity, all that the world has to offer leaves our hearts empty because our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So that is woven into the message of poverty. And I'm not sure how I got there exactly, (laughs) but it's about being in touch with the people and seeing them. And that's another point that I think is important. I mean, I rail at some of the politicians and some, frankly, of the leaders in the church. But we always have to remember it, it goes back to not judging. That's only God's job. And also remembering that you, Joe, are beloved of God. I'm beloved of God. Every living and breathing human being is beloved of God, is precious in the eyes of God. We need to constantly remind ourselves of that, especially in moments of conflict or in moments of disagreement, that it's not just, well, just let everybody go along and get along. But it's recognizing even that person that is on a path that is leading to darkness and devastation, that person is beloved of God and he is longing. Uh, I've heard the description that is what Christ's agony is in the garden, that he's agonizing over all of humanity who will not, no matter how much he pours himself out as completely as he offers his life body and blood, soul and divinity, he pours himself out for us, we still have the free will and too many still reject him. In Christ's agony, I think an aspect of the mystery of the Son of God in that deep agony in Gethsemane is his agony that he can't save everyone because we are free. No matter how much he loves us, we're free to choose a different path. And too many do. But the love is still there. And I love the some of the mystics talking about that until the, we might say in scientific terms, until the last nanosecond of your life, Christ is there with open arms, with his abundant mercy. Amen. As we celebrate on Divine Mercy Sunday saying, come back to me, please. I've poured myself out, but we still remain free. We've got to make that choice. And it is tragic that people do make that choice. But again, we, even the most notorious, the most evil person that we can conjure up, that we can imagine from history or in the world today, atrocious things that they've done. We don't know that at the very last moment, if they turn to Christ, his mercy and his saving love is there for him. But they've got to make that choice. That's right. That is the abundant mercy is that doesn't stop, just like Christ says to Peter. Seventy times, seven times of forgiveness. Basically, you're going to be forgiven as many times as you ask for that forgiveness. We need to remember that compassion and mercy that God has for us and do our best to live it for each other.
1: Amen. Bishop Strickland, we've run out of time, but I had several other questions. But I got to tell you, there are three people I love to interview. You, Michael Voris, and Father Robert Altier, because kind of like you're kind of like a television set. Uh, my remote control is a question, and whenever okay, we've heard enough there. I just ask another question. We tear off another way. Uh, I I really enjoy this, but I want to respect your time. And let me remind you here that sixty-one percent of my audience are young Catholic males. And, uh, of course, you know, that's why we've got Toxic Male Month. <laughs> so, to help them, to address them, to help them to become more manly, more masculine. And so, I'm wondering, before we sign off, would you please offer the six-pack warriors listening your blessing?
0: Absolutely. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for all the men and women who are listening to this program, that we may be all encouraged to seek holiness, to seek that universal call to holiness that the church proclaims for every one of the baptized. We pray especially for men to seek to be holy men and to know that to be manly in the image of Jesus Christ is to be holy in the fullness and richness of all that that means. May all of us be strengthened in following Christ and turning from sin and rejoicing in sharing his good news with others. And we ask this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Excellency. I, I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. And I hope that you will be back on the show again sometime.
0: Thanks, Joe. I'm always glad to work it into the calendar as we can. God bless you.
1: Okay, God bless bless you too. too. Bye-bye. I think you'll agree that Bishop Strickland shows us in this interview what a bishop is supposed to sound like. He finally came to the realization that salvation depends on his courage and obedience to Jesus Christ. I strongly urge all of you six-pack warriors to contact your bishops and tell them about this interview and how they can hear it. You'd be performing an act of charity for them. Next week we'll be hearing from Father Robert Altier of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis. We've had him on the show several times before, and he's always been a six-pack warrior favorite. He's on fire for Toxic Mail Month. Remember to visit cantankerouscatholic.com and go to the swag page to get your Toxic Mail Month t-shirts and coffee mugs to promote Toxic Mail Month. They're items for both men and women. I'll see you next week in episode 179. Until then, remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. God love you.
0: This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack,